Uh, Rob, we've been talking a lot about Shang-Chi uh, ever since I saw it. I was kind of overwhelmed and amazed by the movie, and I absolutely loved it. I've seen it six times in theaters. Uh, and the reason I've seen it six times is I haven't yet gone a seventh, but I will be going a seventh time to go see it. Uh, and then, of course, it had it shattered all box office expectations. It's already surpassed its production budget box office wise. So it's on a good roll. But, you know, one of the questions about Shang-Chi ever since it opened was, OK, great opening weekend. Is it going to have legs? How will it do rolling into, say, a second weekend? Because, Rob, lest we forget Black Widow made $80 million on its opening weekend. It did better than Shang-Chi did on its opening weekend by about $4.5 bucks, but still did better. But it took a pretty significant drop in its second weekend uh, in the 60s. And that's what a lot of people are talking about right now is what kind of legs. Hey, that's great. Shang-Chi, great opening weekend. Bravo. Well done. But it don't mean a lot. If you ain't got legs, because if Shang-Chi goes into the second weekend and drops like 67%, well then, okay, big deal. It had a great opening weekend. We got to see if this thing's going to have legs. Now, in talking about legs, I thought it would be fun for a moment, if you will. If we decided to jump over and take a quick look, let's jump into the Campia classroom here for a second, shall we? <laughs> jump into I love the, when you do this. We got to jump into the Campia classroom. Let's look at a couple of films, shall we? About, you know, what second weekend drops have been like. We just mentioned Black Widow, right? Black Widow took a 67% drop in its second weekend. And that's not good. Now, generally, Rob, you and I are always talking about how, uh, basically speaking, if you're if you've got a, a, a movie out, you would like to see it come bet- between 50 and 60% drop. That's the general norm. If you can drop between 50 and 60%, that's good. If you drop under 50%, well, then then you're popping bottles. But if you drop over 60%, that's a cause for a little bit of concern. So we see Black Widow took a 67% drop. Well, how about Spider-Man Homecoming? Spider-Man Homecoming, great movie, great word of mouth, stuff like that. But it, too, took over a 60% drop. Now, of course, Marvel movies, Rob, we've talked about this, too. Marvel movies tend to be front-end heavy because people don't wait to go to see Marvel movies. Right, They go in droves opening weekend. So you can expect to see a little bit more of an opening weekend drop, but still, Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, even Endgame took a 59% drop. 59% drop. Uh, you know, Thor 3 or Thor Ragnarok, uh, it took a 54% drop on there. It, it, I mean, let's look at some DC things. My beloved Man of Steel, Rob. You know me, one of the greatest comic masterpieces of the comic book genre, most underrated comic book film of all time. Want to take a guess, Rob, of what Man of Steel's second weekend drop was? 65%. You're very close. Very close. Man of Steel took a uh, really undeserved 68% drop in his second weekend. Uh, Batman versus Superman took a 69% drop. And, of course, uh, the new Suicide Squad took a 70% drop. And, by the way, our friend Kim Starr uh, sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Kim Starr. Appreciate that very much. Um, 
So that's just giving you a sense that a lot of these comic book moves can take these drops. Now, Rob, the best one ever, I believe, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the best second weekend drop for a Marvel movie, I believe, was Black Panther. And Black Panther came in at a, not $45, at a 45% drop, which is remarkable. Especially, Rob, when you consider that Black Panther made $200 million in its opening weekend. That's front-end loaded. That's major front-end loaded. And yet it still managed a 45% drop on its second weekend. Well, all that's interesting because the uh, box office outlet, Box Office Pro, has just been putting out their projections for the second weekend for Shang-Chi. And they are currently projecting Shang-Chi. Now, they are projecting this. It might be a little bit more. It might be a little bit less. But right now, their projections are pointing to Shang-Chi making $40 million, right around the $40 million mark for its second weekend. If it's able to hold that, if it does indeed come in at that, then we would be looking at uh, Shang-Chi taking a Black Panther-like 45% drop. Now, again, this is give or take a couple of million, Rob. These are just projections. It is theoretically possible here that if Shang-Chi can make a little bit more than projections in its second weekend, we could be looking at the best second weekend percentage-wise. We could be looking at the best second weekend in MCU history. Uh, of course, there's a lot of caveats to that. There's a there's a bunch of asterisks to put on top of that, absolutely. But by pure drop percentage numbers from week one to week two, we could be looking theoretically maybe at certainly one of the best Marvel second weekends ever, maybe the best. Anyway, Rob, you see these numbers. What are your thoughts on this? What do you? How do you think this is going to turn out? I think it's going to turn out pretty well, John. I mean, <laughs> obviously, the the movie, as we've been saying since we saw it, uh, it is wildly entertaining. And and I think that um, to think that it's not going to drop as much as it dropped or that other movies have dropped is reasonable because people are having, it's a great time at the movies. And I think people, you know, people have forgotten that that's what movies are supposed to be, a great time at the movies. And you know what was great about Shang-Chi? Five minutes into this movie, I'd forgotten all my troubles I'd forgotten anything that was going on in the outside world. I just had a huge smile on my face, and that smile did not let up until the second post-credit scene. <laughs> and what a fine time at the fi- the picture shows it is. So I would say that uh, it would not surprise me at all if the drop is even less than it's being predicted, because who wouldn't want to see this movie? I, I mean, it's just you know, it's funny. Uh, Ann and I, and you, by the way, you and Elizabeth also, we all went to the Designing Hollywood anniversary event last night in Woodland Hills, California, and the hotel Ann and I were at was right across the street from the AMC Theaters, Woodland Hills, and Ann and I were even like, how late can we show up to this party? Maybe we want to go see Shang-Chi first, and we thought, but we didn't. We went straight to the party. Uh, Anyway, guys, uh, what are you guys Think about this projection. It would be impressive. Not only would it be shattering opening weekend box office expectations, it would be shown to have incredible eyes, especially during a pandemic. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Do you think it'll be able to hit that 45% drop? I'm still pegging it around 50, to be honest with you. But do you think he can hit those numbers? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts.
And by the way, Soul Brother Max sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. All right. With that down, let's get into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campia Show? Well, it's simple. You guys come up with our main topics. See, whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you think we need to have as a main topic on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. That down. Let's get into main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Trevor Duhon, who writes, well, it it looks like there's another studio in town looking to sabotage its film. Like Warner Brothers, apparently Universal is now releasing Halloween Kills both theatrically and on Peacock on the same day. I guess Shang-Chi's box office performance didn't give them the same confidence that it did to the other studios. What do you think prompted this move when we've seen theatrical, theatrically only released films perform better than their day and date counterparts? I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Trevor. And yeah, look, this was not the news I was expecting to hear, but not totally surprised either. And we'll get into why I wasn't surprised in a second here. Halloween Kills is, oddly enough, one of my most anticipated movies for the remainder of the year, Rob, because you know how much I like the last Halloween. It's the first Halloween film I ever liked. And I know that sounds sacrilege to say, but it's the first Halloween. That last one was the first one I ever liked, and I really enjoyed it, and I've been super excited about this one. And the news has indeed come out that Halloween Kills, they've changed their, uh, they've changed their strategy from theatrical only, and they're going to go on Peacock. And you're asking a great question. Why, when other studios are now moving their movies up and going theatrical only now, when they were considering streaming, all because of the results of Shang-Chi, why would Halloween Kills do the complete opposite? Well, there's actually a really significant reason why, and we'll talk about that in a second. This comes to us from the folks over at Cinema Blend who write, Universal's pic- Universal Pictures' Blumhouse and Miramax have announced that Halloween Kills will premiere on Peacock on October 15th, the same day it hits theaters. This is the second Universal movie that delivered a day-and-date premiere this year following The Baby Boss, family business back in July. Much like uh, much like what Warner Brothers has done with its 2021 movies on HBO Max this year, Halloween Kills will be available to Peacock Premium and Peacock Premium Plus subscribers at no extra cost. Sorry to the folks on the free tier. I've never understood. If you've got something that's called Premium, isn't that supposed to be the best? Isn't Premium? <laughs> I mean, it's like... Premium, awesome. And premium plus. Wait a minute. If it's premium, it's anyway, whatever. So, Rob, this kind of came out of nowhere. You know, they they decided to do this. And again, the person who wrote the question asked a great question. Other studios are now seeing what Shang-Chi did in the theaters, and they're moving up their movies. They're now making commitments to theatrical releases. We'll talk about one of those in a minute. Why would Peacock all of a sudden come out of nowhere And why would Universal now put it on Peacock? Well, there's actually a really significant reason why. Let's once again, shall we, jump into the Campia classroom for a moment, shall we? All right. Why would they go to Peacock? Why would they go, go, go to Peacock? There's a couple of things, some context you have to keep in mind, all right? Netflix 
right now has about 200 million subscribers. All right. Right now, Netflix has about 200 million subscribers. It's actually a little bit more than that. It's like 202, 203. But let's just roughly ballpark it. We'll say 200 million. All right. And the vast, 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 vast majority of those are paid subscribers. They're paid subscribers. So Netflix, despite their outrageous costs and expenses, they are generating a lot of revenue. Not a ton of profit right now, but a ton of revenue. Disney Plus has right now, the last report was 116 uh, million subscribers. And again, some of those are free because some of them got them through their Verizon deals or whatever, but the vast majority of those are paid subscriptions, okay? A big majority of those 160, not all of them, but the majority of those things are paid subscriptions, okay? Those are paid subscriptions. Peacock, by the way, I really, uh, I misspelled it. I really like the Peacock service, by the way. I still hate the name. I still cringe every time I have to say it, but whatever. Peacock, as of the last report that I read, has 54 million subscribers, right? Has 54 million subscribers. That doesn't sound so bad, Rob, right? Right. Like Netflix has been around forever. They've got like 200 million. Peacock is new to the game, basically. And and they've already got like a quarter of what Netflix, that doesn't look so bad on the surface, right? 54 million subscribers. Aha, uh-huh. But there's a catch. Actually, there's two. There's two catches. Catch number one. Only about 20 million uh, actually use the service. So, yeah, they will report that they have 54 million subscribers, but only about 20 of them will activate it at least once a month. We'll actually load it up and open it and use it once a month. So... I mean, they're okay. So that fifty-four million dollar, that fifty-four million number doesn't look so great. Okay, that's fine. But here's catch number two. Peacock did something very interesting, Rob, that I actually appreciate. Peacock wasn't like Disney Plus or Netflix that says, "Here's our service. This is the price." Peacock did something a little bit different, a little bit interesting to differentiate themselves from the other services. They said, "We're going to give you multiple tiers." There's a free version of Peacock. That it's, it's free. Free, Rob. You don't get all the content, but you get most of it. And sure. there'll be commercials to help us pay our bills, but there's a free level. And then there's premium and the defying description premium plus. So there's a free level. Here's the thing. As of the last reports that I've read, uh, Peacock only has about 5 million paid subs. You look at Netflix, they've got about 200 million paid subs. Disney Plus, out of that 116, probably about 100 million of them are paid subscribers. That 54 million dollar, I keep saying dollar, that 54 million subscriber mark by Peacock looks good on the surface, but only about 20 million actually use it. But really the big thing is it only has about 5 million paid subscribers. It only has about 5 million paid subscribers. 
That ain't going to cut it, Rob. That ain't going to cut it at all. So whereas when a Disney Plus, when Disney is pondering putting a movie directly to Disney Plus, they are partially thinking, hey, this could help out Disney Plus, but they're also thinking maybe this will be good for the movie. It hasn't worked out that way, but that's what their thought process has been. It's like, maybe we'll see. We got to experiment with this stuff. Let's see if this helps the movie. With Peacock moving Halloween Kills to, Universal, I should say, moving Halloween Kills to Peacock has nothing to do with they think this will be good for the movie. This has nothing to do with they think this will be good for the movie. They know it's not good for the movie. This is all about desperately, desperately. This is desperation uh, to try to save Peacock. That's what all this is, Rob. This has nothing to do with the movie itself. And because, once again, let's go back to what they said here. Let's look down at that bottom line. This is key. Halloween Kills is not going to be available to people who use the free version of Peacock. Not available to you. This is only going to be available to Peacock Premium and Peacock Premium Plus subscribers at no extra cost. So you, if you want to see Halloween at home, you got to not only load up. Well, first of all, you got to be going out and getting the Peacock app. And then you can't just have the free version. You got to subscribe to the paid version of the app and get it. And again, That's if right. Peacock was a service that already had like 50 million subscribers, the paid subscribers, that would be fine. But the reality is they are literally pulling two and a half percent of the paid subscribers that Netflix has and roughly about five percent or less of what Disney Plus has. It's and and I say this as somebody who likes Peacock. I actually, I'm actually I use the Peacock service all the time. I like it. But Rob, this seems like nothing but an absolute desperate measure to try to bring relevance to Peacock, which it and again, I'm a fan of it. I'll I'll be a supporter of Peacock. I actually think it's a real if you have Peacock, there's a lot of good stuff on there. And I mm. I I have it turned on at least 3, 4, 5 times a week. But it has not become a relevant part of the conversation, Rob. When people start talking about the big streaming services, Peacock has not, even Paramount Plus has surpassed it. And it's not a relevant part of the conversation. Anyway, Rob, you see that Universal has made this move with Halloween Kills. What jumps into your head? Well, first of all, I kind of, you know, horror uh, is a genre that traditionally does pretty damn well in theaters. It's a Blumhouse film. It's coming off of the very successful Halloween uh, continuation. I honestly, of all the movies that are opening in theaters, I mean, this one has the potential to make the most profit because it wasn't expensive. I mean, it was probably more expensive. I think they spent 20 million plus on the last one, but it's not a $150 million superhero movie. And I would think that the most, you know, like we've talked about so many times on the show, opening movies theatrically and having them do well increases the overall value of those films forever. And I mean, even though it's universal and it's going to eventually go on Peacock, why, why? I mean, I know why they want to bolster paid subscribers to Peacock, like you've just been pointing out, which I, I completely appreciate. But you know what? Those same people, if they want to see it again, will subscribe anyway, because Halloween Kills is going to be exclusive to Peacock. It's going to be exclusive to the universal streaming service. So why open these things day and date? 
I mean, you know, we've proven theatrical release has proven that lately that the the pandemic is not as detrimental as it used to be toward movies. I would open it. I would open it day and date, man. I, I would open it day and date and, and then let I mean and not play it day and date on a streaming service. But, you know, I they want to bolster their 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 subscriber base. I understand. It's not it's not out of the realm of not understanding. I get it. I just wouldn't do it. So let me ask you this. When I when I propose that this is exclusively a move, I believe this is exclusively a move by Universal. And you know Jamie Lee Curtis and the producers got a good payout from Universal to do sure. this. But when I when I make a claim that I say I believe that this is exclusively has nothing to do with trying to help the film. This is all about trying to just get attention to Peacock. You yep. agree with that? 100%. Because the, uh, otherwise the the you know the, the what people don't understand is the only thing these streamers are looking for are subscribers because what that subscription base does is it stabilizes their income. They can be like, "Okay, we've got like Netflix. I, we have 200,000 or 200 million subscribers." So they know that every month a certain amount of money is coming in. And in the entertainment business, there has never been that kind of stability ever. And especially for like Warner Brothers, Warner Media having HBO Max, that subscription base keeps that cash flow normalized, which is something that a lot of studios like when you're making a movie, John, and you're spending now studios, are everything's over $100 million practically. That's a crapshoot. You know, and they don't have any stability. What if they make a $150 million movie and it tanks the box office? That's a huge hit. But if you have a streaming service that's connected to your studio and you know you have stabilization there, it's good for the banks. It's good for your interest rates. It's good for your stock prices. And that's what the, that is why these streaming services are something had before. And that's why the synergy between the studios and the, their, their streaming branches are so important. It makes it gives from a business perspective, it gives them an anchor and stability they've just never had before. That's why they want everybody to join their streaming services. And 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 to that, what you were pointing out before, too, even becomes more relevant because Disney is now figuring out that we can have that regular revenue stream with our streaming service. We put our movies like Shang-Chi in theaters exclusively. We mm. make big money on it there, and then 45 days later, it gets even more attention when we put it yes. up on Disney Plus because it had all that, as you call it, the cachet that it had from being theatrical only. So they're making money on both ends. So That's the way to do it, man. I mean, you know, everyone knows Shang-Chi is not going to be going to other streaming services. It's going to be going to Disney it's Plus. It's going to Disney Plus. And, and, you know, going to a theater, I don't think anyone who saw Shang-Chi would, would – uh, forego an opportunity to see it again at home <laughs> like i'm gonna have disney plus because i'm gonna watch the hell out of that movie you know and 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 then you know what i love about disney plus i just love having like all the star wars movies and all the marvel movies just there like if i want to watch the opening scene of say infinity war when ebony ma shows up in new york and dr strange and wong and iron man and spider-man and hulk are there i just like watching that sequence and it's on, it's streaming and I can just, you know what? I might be waiting to go somewhere. I might have an extra 15 minutes. Heck man, I'm going to watch that scene in Infinity War or I'm going to watch the attack on the Death Star or whatever. That's why I love having these streaming services because I can dip into things I've seen a million times I own on physical media, but it's just easy. And when they're all there 
all your favorite candies in the candy dish right there. You just take whatever you want. I love it. Anyway, guys, the question for you is, what do you think about this move by Universal to have Halloween Kills come out exclusive? Well, not exclusively, not exclusively in theaters, but in theaters and on Peacock on the same day. Uh, I attribute it to being an absolute desperation move by them to try to give relevance to Peacock because obviously Peacock is struggling far behind the other major services. But maybe there's some other factors, too. Whatever you guys think about it, jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? Rob, what is our second main topic today? Well, this comes from KitKat, which is unfortunate because now I want a KitKat. <laughs> hey, John, uh, updates on my favorite director right now. Christopher Nolan is set to direct a film about J. Robert Oppenheimer's role in the development of the atom bomb during World War II. Cillian Murphy might be involved. Several major studios are already in talks to acquire the film. This is fantastic. I'm happy he's moving away from Warner Brothers. I'm so pumped for this. What are your thoughts? Well, John, I have to say I'm I'm a fan of, of Christopher Nolan. And when he delved into the historical uh, look at Dunkirk, which is uh, so a good. very... So good. Very British story from World War II that not many Americans might have known about. Uh, I loved it. And so the idea of this period in time, the delving into Oppenheimer and the Manhattan Project and showing how the, the atomic bomb was, was developed. I mean, there was another movie uh, about the first computer, you know, that Benedict Cumberbatch starred in. Yes. That, um, he got nominated for an Academy Award for that, too, I believe. I mean, there's just something. I, first of all, I love World War II stories. But this is and stories about scientists that are trying to to create something. I mean, this is something that really, really excites me. Uh, Variety comes to us and says, Christopher Nolan has had discussions with several major studios about his next film revolving around J. Robert Oppenheimer and his involvement developing the atomic bomb. While Nolan's last few films were all at Warner Brothers, the director was not pleased when Warner Media made the decision to put its entire 21, 2021 slate on HBO Max. Nolan made it clear he was interested in some degree of theatrical exclusivity on his films. Bitters assumed that a deal for the Oppenheimer project would also carry that requirement. By the way, John, can I make a prediction? Oh, yes. I think Warner Brothers is going to make this movie. Well, here's the thing. I think they're going to fall on their sword. Their Warner Brothers is in the bidding. I mean, that's the interesting thing about this. I, apparently, the talks that uh, Christopher Nolan's agents have been having with uh, all the studios around town, uh, that's included Warner Brothers. I, but now, Warner Brothers, here's look. What I believe the status right now with Warner Brothers is this, is look, if Warner Brothers comes to Christopher Nolan on bended knee and says, look, we will put ironclad in the contract, we will put it in ironclad language, we will stand at the crossroads, call upon the crossroads demon and make, make a blood pact that regardless of whatever happens, this movie will come out theaters exclusive only, blah, blah, blah. They've got a chance. I, I think they've got a chance. Business is business. He may hate their guts right now, but business is business. What's really interesting to me here, Rob, is this, because you and I talked about this a few months ago. You know what other one of the other studios involved in the discussions are? Netflix. Yeah, I know. Well, and because Netflix, apparently, from what I'm hearing, is willing to sign an agreement with Christopher Nolan to say, we will give this movie a theatrical exclusive run 
and then we'll have it live on Netflix after its theatrical exclusive run. That is not how Netflix does things, but it looks like to get into business with Christopher Nolan, they're willing to maybe make an exception. As far as the sounds of this movie in general, I think this sounds amazing. I really do. I, I, like, I am so intrigued because, especially Rob, when you look at Oppenheimer, because not only are you talking about a guy who helped develop the atomic bomb, but the story of the guy's life and then how the, how the way that weighed on him after the fact and what it did to him after the fact and how he felt about his role in the creation of the atomic bomb after the fact. You put that into the hands of a storyteller like Christopher Nolan, if Dunkirk is any indication, because Dunkirk was a freaking masterpiece as far as I'm concerned. That movie was wonderful. Not everybody lost their minds for it. I think it was nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Actually, I'm fairly certain it was. But I thought that movie was brilliant. If he can give that same kind of flavor to this, I think it'd be wonderful. And it would be really... Now, I, Rob, I'm going to disagree with you. I don't actually think Warner Brothers will end up being the winning studio in this. But it's possible. It's possible. It it, it paints a really interesting picture and it creates a lot of interesting storylines if it does. So... I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm going to guess, you know what? I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess Sony. I'm going to guess, I'm, I'm going to make a prediction right now that this movie, this World War II movie Christopher Nolan's doing is going to end up at Sony. And if not Sony, maybe Warner Brothers, because they're going to be under new ownership by the time this movie goes into production. And if not, um, I don't know. I don't know from there. Netflix may have a chance though. Netflix may have a chance. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about the sounds of this next Christopher Nolan film? I think it sounds incredible. But maybe the more interesting story is where does it actually end up being made? Does he go back to Warner Brothers? Hard to imagine, but it's possible. Is it Netflix? Would have been thought crazy six months ago. Not so crazy now. Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down... Let's move on to our third and final main topic today. And our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Strong and Strong writes, Hey, John, I don't know if you saw, but uh, Matthew Baloney, the former editor at The Hollywood Reporter, reported that Disney has reportedly finalized on keeping Eternals as a theatrical-only release. And this is nothing but awesome news. This is the right call. Shang-Chi is our savior, and I'm really happy. What are your thoughts? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Strong. Look, when a lot of people knew heading into Shang-Chi, a lot of eyeballs were going to be on it. Bob Chapek made the... I know he didn't mean it as bad as it sounded. I know he did not mean it to sound as bad as it sounded. But it was still an unbelievable brain fart blunder when he said, oh yeah, Shang-Chi's going to be an interesting little experiment. Well, anyway, this interesting little experiment experiment turned a lot of heads. And when the box office numbers for Shang-Chi started rolling in, a lot of questions started to come up with was, well, what does this mean for Eternals? Because up until recently, Disney has not been willing to commit one way or the other as to what their streaming strategy is going to be. But apparently we do now. As the former editor, uh, Matt, in his uh, news news. Uh, Uh, In his news mag, What I'm Hearing, or his newsletter, What I'm Hearing, he wrote the following. 
After Disney CEO Bob Chapek basically dared Shang-Chi to perform in theaters over Labor Day weekend, and it did, 94 million domestically, he couldn't possibly put Eternals on Disney Plus day and date, right? I'm told Chapek and distribution chief Kareem Daniels have made their decision on the November movie's fate, and it will indeed receive an exclusive theatrical run. Disney declined to comment. Uh, Marvel's Kevin Feige and Angelina Jolie's agents can exhale now. So that comes to us again from Matt, who is the former reporter. Again, this isn't Gus's movie reviews dot fart. This is a guy who is the reporter who has a editor over at uh, over there at the folks at the Hollywood Reporter. And Rob. I don't think this is terribly surprising. I think most of us, it's fair to say that when news came out, when we started to see what Shang-Chi's numbers were pulling in, I think a lot of us then immediately turned our attention to what's Eternals going to do. And I think a lot of us believe that there's just no way Bob Chapek, who seems to live in fear of the shareholders, instead of being a leader, he seems to live in perpetual fear of what the shareholders think. Anyway, There's no way Bob Chapek can go to the shareholders and say, we're going to put Eternals on Disney Plus at this point. He just can't. I mean, at least that's what I thought. You never know. He's done dumber things. Bob Chapek has done much dumber things. So never put it past Bob Chapek to do the dumb thing. But it seemed to me like it was a clear choice to put now to make sure and commit that Eternals is going to be a theatrical exclusive release. And Rob, once again, going back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier is this is going to help Disney plus in the long run. You having Eternals get a theatrical release first, make its money in theaters, get all the notoriety, get all the attention, get all the buzz, get all the talk. And then 45 days later, you get to do it all again by saying, and now, now it's on Disney plus, and it's just going to help Disney plus. It's just going to help Eternals. Everybody wins. If indeed this report is true and Bob Chapek can stay out of his own dumbass way, if that's the case, I think this is a win for Disney overall on every level for the theatrical, for Disney plus, for the movie, for the players involved. This is great. Now I still don't know how Rob, I don't know how Eternals is going to do at the box office. I, I, I just don't know at this point, apparently the movie is spectacular, but Honestly, until we get a little bit closer and we get a full marketing campaign in full swing, I'm not really sure. I don't know if it can make as much money as Shang-Chi. I really don't. But at least now we're going to find out. Rob, you hear about this report. Do you believe it? What do you think the options here are? How do you see this? Well, first of all, you know, we've been hearing whispers that The Eternals is one of the best movies Marvel has made. And knowing what I know, because i you know, I've read the comics, Neil Gaiman's versions, Jack Kirby's versions, other other versions. I think the story of what Eternals is addressing, if I'm clear about it, is going to be one of epic resonating proportions. And the idea behind it is going to be a pretty mind-blowing. And I think because it's dealing with at least from what I understand, it's dealing with a certain conundrum <laughs> faced by the entire planet that only the Eternals can uh, prevent from happening. I think this movie's going to kick ass, and I think it's going to surprise people. And as you have said many times on the show, uh, it's directed by the reigning champion of film directors. The reigning! Defending, uh, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think that... Um, I, I, 
I, you know, John, I think this movie is going to be huge. I think this is the kind of movie that people it's going to come. I think people know less about that than they knew about Shang-Chi. And I think they haven't really, they haven't really hinted at what's really going on in the trailers yet. Kind of like in Shang-Chi, we didn't know a lot of like, I didn't know it was a full blown wuxia fantasy epic. I didn't know that they didn't show us in the trailer. And I think that what's happening in the Eternals is much bigger than people know, or they've let on uh, in the trailers, at least. And I think this movie is, is going to do huge business. I don't know if it's going to do Shang-Chi business, but I think that um, it's a great plan. Marvel is back. I think they realized that I think they really did hurt Black Widow's theatrical run a bit. It killed the theatrical it, run. Yeah, that, that it was day and date. I mean, I, I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe doesn't need help. Eternals is going to be its 26th offering in movie theaters. And this idea that, well, during a pandemic, we have to go day and date on Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus, look... They're going to get the subscribers. They didn't need to do it. Disney Plus subscribers have been expanding further and, and faster than they thought. And um, I think uh, Eternals is going to do quite well by being theatrical only. Yeah. I mean, look, you and I both heard, re- referencing back to what you were alluding to earlier, you and I both heard from somebody inside and other people have reported the same thing, by the way. That in the halls of Marvel, they seem to believe that Eternals is the best film they've ever made. Now, that doesn't mean you and I are going to agree with that. Like once we that just because they think that doesn't mean we're going to think that not at all. But it at least says something when you have a company like Marvel, Rob, that has had the success that they've had. They've had a best picture nomination. They've got all this stuff to hear coming out of there that internally Marvel feels like this is their best film. I mean, maybe we shouldn't be surprised. They've got the reigning director of the year in Chloe Zhao who's directing it. They went all out on the cast on this thing. I mean, so maybe we shouldn't be terribly surprised, Uh, but I will say this as much as I really like the last trailer, if Eternals is going to do Shang-Chi or better numbers, they've got to, They've got to up their marketing game. They've got to mark uh, uh, up their marketing game because right now I don't think as it stands, I don't think people are feeling like watching these eternal trailers, especially the first one. The first one was a very like, here's a little glimpse. I liked it, but a lot of people didn't. The second one was a much improved one, but I still feel like they need to up it a bit if they're going to generate the type of buzz and hype and anticipation that they feel this film deserves. I don't know. What do you think about that? Where do you, what do you think they need to do to get the hype built up on this? Well, like anything else, I mean, I think when you have the goods, when you have a, a great a great movie, especially a Marvel film, you run the risk of tipping your hand. Yeah, that's true. And and I think that that if what I suspect is happening in this movie is happening, I don't think you want people to know that in the trailer because it's it's a pretty shocking revelation. And I I think that that we we have to trust. I think Eternals is going to be kind of in the situation that Shang-Chi is in the sense that I think Eternals is going to be such an interesting film and it's going to expand not only the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but the history of our own planet that people are going to be so intrigued by that once the once the cat is out of the bag 
But it's a tough one because, you know, right now people don't know the Eternals and the questions they have about the Eternals relationship to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, well, how come you didn't show up during the when the Chitari are invading New York or and then because they've said in one trailer, well, ah, we promised we shouldn't we shouldn't interfere. But that's not enough. You know, were any of the Eternals snapped away by Thanos? I don't know. We'll find out. Do people know Thanos is an Eternal himself? No. But if you do, if you read the comics, uh, do you know, is Thanos going to be in the movie? Very possibly, I would imagine. Uh, I don't know that. There's no reason I would think that. But the fact is, it could be pretty interesting. But would you want to put that in a trailer? Mm, I don't know. I just think they got they got to play it. They got to go the way they're going on this one. And I think let it's like Shang-Chi, dude. They started showing Shang-Chi to people. We saw it a couple weeks in advance. We're walking out. You saw it twice when I when you took me. I, I, you were buzzing already. We come out of that theater and I was buzzing as much as you were. And why? Because the movie was good. And I think that's what they're going to do. They, they're they going to follow the same pattern. They're probably going to show Eternals a couple of weeks before to people that matter. The, the genre press maybe three weeks before and then they're going to have other press screenings. And that word of mouth is going to get out and then everyone's going to call us Disney shills. And maybe, you know, one day we'll get a check. But, um, uh, but, and they'll do the same thing they did with Shang-Chi, and it'll open beyond expectations. All right, guys, the question is for you. You're hearing about all this. Eternals, apparently, according to these reports, we'll wait to see when Disney, if and when Disney comes out and confirms this, but according to the reports that Eternals is going to get a theatrical exclusive release, which would, of course, be the right move. Bravo, Bob Chapek. Let's see if he can actually stay out of his own dumb way. What do you guys think about this? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts okay guys with all that down out of the way let's now move over and start taking your live questions shall we and that's what we're going to do right now so we're going to start things off here with a question from alejandro who writes there are comic book slash film slash show channels that spend every day complaining that every comic book property sucks every day. Uh, do you know any of these producers and do they actually buy what they're putting out? Can't imagine being so negative uh, at my job. Um, well, look, I, I, my channel is not to talk about other YouTube channels, but I will talk about the industry as a whole. I'll talk about the industry as a whole. And I'll say this. There are some who recognize that hate content can get easy clicks. Hate content can get easy clicks because it appeals to the lowest common denominator in all of us, the, the lowest common denominator in all of us. And so, you know, and there are channels. Again, I'm not calling any, I'm saying this is, and by the way, this isn't just the movie side, Rob. This is, this is every, every industry side, whether it's the music industry, sneakers, uh, tech, whatever. This goes across everywhere. It, it becomes where they realize when they put up a hate piece of content, we hate this person, we hate this thing. That gets some easy clicks. And then what happens with some of these channels is they realize that those the hate content they put up gets more clicks than their what should be their main stuff that they do whether it's talking about music or bikes or phones or whatever. And they realize the hate stuff gets more clicks. So they go, oh, well, let's do more hate stuff. And then what ultimately happens is, like I was telling the story before, there's this, there's this one uh, YouTube channel that would cover Apple stuff. 
And I'm not, I'm a, hell, despite the fact that my wife works for Apple, so half of my household income comes from Apple. Thank you, Apple. But, you know, I'm an Android guy, dude. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an Android guy. But, you know, I like watching the a lot of tech stuff. But eventually what started happening was everything this one channel did was about this MacBook thing sucks. And then this iPad thing sucks. Then this earbuds thing sucks. And then I realized one day I went to their YouTube channel and I opened up their videos column. And it was like every out of like 30 or 40 videos that I went through, there were maybe three or four that were like, Hey, let's talk about this. Everything else, like all other 27, 28 of the 30 things were like, this sucks. This sucks. I hate this. We hate this. This is terrible. I hate that. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, Oh, and then I unsubscribed. It was just like, why, why I get it. Hate gets instant clicks. And I don't believe that a lot of these tech channels, music channels, movie channels, whatever, I don't believe they actually buy half the stuff they're trying to spin. They just know, hey, this gets us clicks. And when they, and and here's the problem though, Rob, that only has a certain shelf life because there's a law of diminishing returns. And I've seen this happen to YouTube channels over the last 10 years where they'll run real hot for a bit But the law of diminishing returns says, unless you keep upping your hate quota, unless you keep getting more visceral and more angry in your hate, people start to lose interest. So they keep say they keep, they up it and up it and up it, but there's only so far you can go. And then those channels eventually disappear. Not, not in weeks, not in months, but over the years, and I've been doing this for a lot of years, they eventually just disappear because their content isn't based on good material because their channels became known by what they hate. They became identified by what they hate. They're no longer identified by what they love. And while I, Rob, will certainly do the odd thing about, oh my God, I can't believe what Bob Chapek just did. While I will do that once in a while, for the most part, when people come to my channel and if they look at my video list, hopefully, my hope, fingers crossed, is that people are going to be able to look at my channel and be able to identify me by what it is I love as opposed to what it is I hate. But I see the appeal. It gets quick, easy clicks. The problem is, I mean, if you just eat a half pound of sugar, you're going to get a lot of energy right now and a lot of energy tomorrow. But if you could just keep eating half bags of sugar every day, you're going to die sooner rather than later. So I don't know, Rob, what's your take on this? What? Take that back. I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, (laughs) I, for the most part, agree with you. Of course, what's really interesting, there's there's certain things I do stream about that I I have a vehement dislike of. <laughs> but you don't say. But 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 I would say this. I would say this. I when I'm on my own channel, I just stream about kind of what I'm thinking about. Like I don't I'm not making I think for the most part, my channel is one of positivity. And I know that that's why my audience, because I hear from them every day, I read letters from them every day. And that's where where I'm coming from. And and I agree with you. I mean, I started a YouTube channel. The reason people like John Schnepp were telling me to start a YouTube channel is John would always say you have an interesting perspective on things. And I like listening. You get excited about what you love so much. And that's kind of what I based the channel on was, was talking about what I love. Um, and yes, there are certain, uh, there are certain things that I talk about that I are very frustrating to me and I get angry about, but I get angry about them because I want them to be better. (laughs) 
you know, it's not it's not politically motivated. It's not, you know, I'm disappointed in in the storytelling aspects of it all. But, yeah, I mean, I think that 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 for me, I I just believe in like I genuinely like people and I like movies and television and I've loved them my whole life. And and I think that that ultimately is better. Um, but any, but then again, I understand that that people should base what they're streaming about or talking about on their own interests and what they think and what they believe. And I know for myself, I watch all different kinds of channels about a lot of different kinds of things. And I, I also appreciate when people have different viewpoints than I do because I learn from them. You know, I think what's really important is that we have the most important thing is that there's all kinds of viewpoints on this platform. And I, I like to skip around and hear lots of people's points of view, even people that are on opposing political sides than I am, because I get insight into things that I might not have had insight into. And what I'm most interested in, John, is people that can state their positions in an effective manner, even if they're negative and even if they're things that I don't believe in necessarily. I want people to be able to uh, constructively present their ideas in a way that I can understand and sympathize with, empathize with, and learn from, basically. And there's some things you said there I agree with, some things I don't. But that's that's the beauty of the world we live in, and that's why I like having you on the show. Well, you know, you and I, people always point out that we have a lot of dissenting views, you and I. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We that's feel- why we like talking to each other. Uh, absolutely. And and I, I've always appreciated the discussions that we have. And look, I, I don't get mad at you and go, if you, John, I'm not coming back to this show. I mean, you know, we 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 are, we we have discussions about this industry. We both see it different ways. I think that's what makes this show valuable, to be honest. I agree. All right. Let's move on here. Thanks for that, uh, Alejandro. Appreciate that, dude. Next up, Ryan Loner writes. I can't wait to see how Ralph Bonner's uh, cousin, Woody, has the illusion of Dr. Octopus powers. And because I really do have to say it, don't do that, Marvel. We actually know you would now. I I still contend that, and I keep forgetting the guy's name who played Wanda's fake brother. Um, I I keep wanting to say Aaron Taylor Johnson, but it's the other Quicksilver. Uh, Anyway, I still contend that his casting in WandaVision was brilliant. I know it got a lot of people butthurt. I thought it was brilliant casting. I thought it was absolutely brilliant casting, even though it hurt a lot of people. Evan Peters. Thank you. Everybody's got to remind me. I always freezing on Evan Peters names. Thank you, everybody in the live chat. Yes, it was Evan Peters. Uh, anyway, I still think that was brilliant casting. Anyway, anonymous viewer writes, I have reason to believe Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and 4 are shooting back to back. Why don't studios do this more often? It would force them to be prepared and also save money. Uh, the new Star Wars trilogy likely would have been better planned. Uh, well, there's a couple of reasons. Now, Rob, you and I have gone over several times, many times, about the advantages of shooting things back to back. There's um, logistic, tons of logistic advantages. You literally save millions of dollars when you can just plan it all together and get it all together like that. You can have the second film come out rather than three years later. You can have it come out a year later. There are advantages. But there are also disadvantages. Number one, Chris Pratt, you know, people like Chris Pratt and and others and James Gunn and things like, these are people who have busy schedules. 
It's one thing, Rob, to try to lock down an actor for two and a half months. Try locking down an in-demand actor for six months, for an entire six-month window where you got to have exclusive access to them. That's not easy to do. That's that's very, very difficult to do. And so there, there are advantages, but it's also, Rob, bigger risk because you put out a second film and what if it doesn't do, what if the second one doesn't do so well? Maybe the third one shouldn't happen. You know, so I, I and by the way, I don't even know that there is going to be a Guardians 4. Actually, I, I think it's close to a coin toss. I'm not convinced at all there's going to be a Guardians 4. I think James Gunn may very well do Guardians 3, and then he's going to go back over to DC and do some things over at DC. So I, I honestly don't know. But I don't know, Rob, could you see them shooting a Guardians 3 and 4 back to back? I mean, look, I, I don't understand why more people, I, all, all the way back to Lord of the Rings, I don't understand why why a lot of these studio tentpoles are not shot back-to-back. Because I think in the long run, if they know they're going to make these sequels, why not make make two at the same time and amortize the costs and cut down on the overall cost of what both would cost individually to make? I mean, they could do that, but I don't think they will do that. But I, I do think, doing something like that makes sense. It just is a question of, do you have two great scripts? I mean, James Gunn obviously wrote the guardians three script a while ago and people really liked it apparently, but it's tough to write. The the real thing, John is getting two great scripts that are worth shooting back to back. Right. And then again, you're going to have, what, what if you run into a situation like remember Aragon, Aragon, the plan was to do a trilogy of films. That was the whole plan. They had all the, the actors locked up in their contracts but they did the first Aragon and it was a horrible flop. And then they never did make the second one. So they're always afraid of that, afraid of that. And logistically trying to book that kind of talent for like, instead of just like two, two and a half months, three months. Now you got to try to book them in for a solid six month window when they don't already have other commitments. It can be difficult. So ideally you should shoot these things back to back, but there are challenges and I, I get why it doesn't happen more often than it does. All right. Next up we've got, um, uh, Key Lime Killer writes, I just saw Shang-Chi and I really enjoyed it, except for having to ask a, a couple to quiet down. It was a good experience. Also, uh, what a nice surprise that the Anderson Pack song at the end, he's one of the greatest musical talents out there right now. I really like that song. You know what? Marvel has really been upping their game for the, the songs that play at the end during the credits. I remember I really took notes of that in Black Panther. When the song, uh, All the Stars or something like that, whatever the name of the song is, like, that's great. And this song at the end of Shang-Chi actually reminds me a lot of that. So, yeah, I agree. All right, Keemline Killer also writes, also, John, I have to ask, let's say one day Henry Cavill called and invited you to breakfast at his house, and he decided to make you both a bacon, uh, bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. If he put ketchup on your egg sandwich without asking, would you still eat it? Okay, this is a good question. <laughs> this is a good question. <laughs> Because, you know, my boy, Henry Cavill, who I've, you, you can't see him right now. I mean, if you if you look right in between these two monitors here, you can see Henry Cavill's abs. That That's my that's my Henry Cavill standee right there back there. So Henry is always here. Man of Steel is always here. Overwatch overlooking over uh, overwatching the thing. He is my bro crush. I'm not going to lie. I get to deny it, Rob. Henry Cavill is my bro, bro crush. Absolutely. I think the dude's amazing. Plays World of Warcraft, builds his own PCs. 
my favorite Superman of all time? A lot about it. So it's, it's a good question. It's a good question. So if I went over to Henry's place, he said, hey, let's, let's well, come over to my place Sunday morning. Let's watch some football, John, and I'll, I'll prepare breakfast. Great. So I'll go over. If Henry were to bring me that sandwich, that egg and bacon sandwich that had ketchup on it, I would knock him the fuck out. I would knock him the fuck out. I said, how dare you try to sneak that on me? I'll hit him with an elbow on the bridge of the nose. Get back. You know, take, take, take the rear naked choke on him. And as he's going out and as the life is draining from his eyes, I'll say, that's what you get, Cavill. That's what you get putting fucking ketchup on my eggs. <laughs> Knock him the fuck out is exactly what I would do. And he would deserve it. So I don't know. There, yeah. What would you do, Rob? If, uh, I don't know, William Shatner invited you over for dinner and put your absolutely most hated thing on the, on the plate in front of you. You eat it? You eat that, you eat that shit? Dude, you choke that down and you tell him it's the best food he's ever, <laughs> you've ever had in your life. <laughs> That's probably the right answer. If Bill Shatner cooks you food, you eat it. I, I like with a smile, and <laughs> with you ask smile. for seconds. <laughs> I love it. All right, by the way, our friend Sidious Swift sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, uh, thank you for that, Sidious. Anyway, so hopefully that answers that question, Key Lime. So you watch your step, Cavill. You watch your fucking step. Anyway, Willow writes, congrats on getting your new Captain America hot toy. I love my Captain America hot toy. I remember that at Comic-Con, you were trying to decide between Cap and Batman and ended up getting neither. Which one did you try buying first, though? Yeah, so so a couple years ago, for those of you who don't remember, I was at Comic-Con and I came across uh, one of the, uh, on the Comic-Con convention floor, there was this one seller and they had this beautiful Ben Affleck Batman and they had this beautiful Infinity War Captain America. And I wanted to buy them both. And neither were available. Both were like, oh, no, no, no. See, these are just for display. You order them now and then we deliver them to you in 18 months. And I'm, and I'm sorry, Rob, I am an instant gratification kind of cat. I'm an instant gratification, dude. None, none of this. I don't know how you have the patience. Like, I, you guys don't know this, but I'll be on the phone with Rob. He's like, hey, what's, what's going on? What you doing, dude? It's like, oh, dude, I just put in this order for this magnificent thing. Yeah, it'll come in 2025. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait for it. And I'm like, how? Oh, I just don't get it. I don't have that kind of patience. I, I just can't. So I need instant gratification. I, it, so Rob, I don't know how you do it, but honestly, Rob, Rob, honestly, honestly, <laughs> at any given time, at any given moment, how many things do you have on order? Like things that you have ordered sometime in the past couple of years that you're that you whether it was you ordered it yesterday or three years ago, how many things do you have coming in? I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty-five to thirty. <laughs> now, 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 now. Hang on. Okay. Now here's the thing though. Now I've been doing it for so long that stuff comes in all the time. <laughs> so, so it might be something like, dude, I, I got a hot toy recently that I ordered in 2019. Right. Yeah. That came in a week ago or two so weeks you, ago. That's just you and me. You've got that kind of patience. I, I clearly don't. Well, the thing is if you've been collecting for a long time, like I'll give you an example. So these 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 ma these magazines that come out every month with parts in them for a model of some kind. Right. Right. Whether it's the Aston Martin DB5 right now, I'm I, I'm getting two subscriptions. One is the Enterprise D from Next Generation. It's going to take 
a year to get all the parts to build it. And the other is the four foot long space battleship Andromeda from space battleship Yamato that I'm getting from Japan. And, and that thing is unique. It's going to be 60 issues long before you get all the pieces to build the four foot Andromeda. And, and I think I'm up to 20 pieces now because they haven't released them. So it's going to be another 40 weeks. (laughs) So, and I don't get them every week. I mean, I get them from this guy in Japan gets them for me. And when he gets like 15 or he sends them to me. But what that makes for is that if you don't pay attention, and sometimes I do, you just get, it's like Christmas, man. Something shows up and you open it up. You're like, what is this? (laughs) And then I've got other people who buy me things like, like uh, the lovely Emma Bannon, a friend of mine in the UK. I got a a package from her that had space 1999 soundtracks on vinyl that i'd forgotten about and they just show up and it's like santa claus showed up or our friend cliff stevenson who is we know him as geek santa he just drives to my house some days yeah and he leaves stuff on my doorstep that he thought i would have liked that he finds on like etsy so it's just a joyous life, John. Cliff, Cliff is great. For those of you who know, we got this buddy named Cliff, and he's he's fantastic. He's in the industry. He's he's a wonderful dude. And I remember the first time I went over to his house, we were working on something. The first time I at his house, and I, I saw his hot toy collection. And it's like, it's it's a pretty impressive little display in a pretty relatively small space. It's amazing how many hot toys he displays in a real in his in his office. It's kind of crazy. But I was looking at this one Boba Fett. I'm like, oh, that's beautiful. He goes, you like it? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I got a second one here. Just take it. And he just hands me this Boba Fett box. I'm like, I, like, is there a camera? Like, am I being am I being pranked here? Do I really get to take this home? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go ahead and take it. I got a, I got a <laughs> duplicate. It's like, how do you accidentally have duplicates of a Boba Fett hot toy? But he does. He's just dude, the kind of guy. He's a good dude. I got to give a shout out to our viewer, Kyle Arking. Who tweeted? He tweeted. Uh, it looks like it came from the Hollywood Reporter. It says, "Dear Evan Hansen, will receive a de-aged version of the film <laughs> with limited theater release." <laughs> Amid the criticism of Ben Platt's physical appearance, Universal <laughs> Studios has announced that a de-aged version of the film will be released in a limited capacity. You've oh, got to see great. this, John. It is genius. Congratulations, will, Kyle. You just, you made me laugh. <laughs> I will look that one up. All right. So, so anyway, yes, thank you for that, Willow. Appreciate that. And uh, let's, let's move on here. All right. Justin M writes, one of two. Hey, John and friends, I have a movie business question for you. Do studios Uh-oh. need permission to use a review in the marketing for a movie? For example, if I made a film and someone just absolutely roasted it in a review, uh, but the review was funny. Uh, would I need to find a way to contact the reviewer and get their permission if I wanted to steer into the skid and use their funny review in a trailer or marketing material for the movie? Or is any review of my movie fair game for promotional use? Look, actually, Justin, that's a really that's a really good question. Robbie's asking. It is a really good question. I guess here's what happens. Generally, I've had I've had studios use quotes of mine a couple of times, and what has normally happened? Normally, I do get contacted. And they say, hey, we, we wanted to use one of these quotes from you. Is that cool with you? And I've, I've always said, yeah, sure. Sometimes they have it. The real answer is they don't need to. Because them using your quote about their movie is no less a fair use issue than you talking about their movie. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's that. Like, it's, it's fair use. If I say something about, about a movie publicly... 
And I'm talking specifically about their, now what they can't do is use a quote of mine. Like if I say, man, free guy, an example of what it means to have fun at the movies. Well, if Fast 9 took that quote and just said, an example of what it means to have fun at the movies, John Campy. I was like, I, I wasn't saying that about Fast 9. I was saying that about Free Guy. I mean, they can't do that. That's, 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 that's no. But if I'm talking about your movie, that's fair use for you to use my quote in any marketing you want to do. So generally, they do ask most of the time. But the reality is they don't have to ask. They really don't. Rob, have you ever have you ever had one of the studios or something like that like reach out to you and ask if they can use a comment or a quote from you about stuff? Unfortunately, it's never happened, but I'm willing to as I said shill for any studio. Really? Whenever Paramount, they ask. Paramount hasn't reached out to you for a for a discovery quote, really? You know, I it's surprisingly no. No, and uh I I can't imagine why. It's funny. Rob and I Rob and I like you guys think we talk about it on the show. Rob and I will talk about Star Trek off air. All the time. And if you guys follow Rob, it was just a good, funny moment last night. If you guys follow Rob, Rob was uh, mentioned on his social media, on all of his social media platforms that uh, there was a Star Trek, one of the Paramount Star Trek Twitter accounts, I guess, fandom. And we, I got together with Rob last night at a party. And that's the first thing, like, I, obviously I read Rob's social media, so I knew about it already. But Rob, I hadn't seen Rob or talked about him with it face to face. So he's like, did you know that Paramount? I'm like, Rob, this is my fake shocked face. <laughs> it's like so we talk about this stuff all the time but but well, it was funny because i don't believe i even followed that star it was it was star trek on yeah it's one i never uh, even Paramount heard of Plus. i never even heard of it before i don't think i even followed that account so i was pre-banned you you were which, well, it was a preemptive was, ban it was a preemptive block <laughs> which means which means apparently they know who i am i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing i think you it's a what? good thing that's a good thing they know who I you mean, are I, I would say that you know i i am a uh a lifelong Star Trek fan. I love Star Trek. And, um, you know, I'm just discerning. <laughs> just discerning. Anyway, we won't get into our ages long debate on this again right now, but all right. But anyway, Justin, great question. I hope I cleared that up for you a little bit. All right. Next up, we got Juan Ramirez who writes first time back at the movies to see Shang-Chi. What an amazing movie. I think maybe we will see the 10 rings in armor wars. Thanks for all you do. I really don't think so. Now, Armor Wars seems like it is very specific. Look, if anything was setting up Armor Wars, I think it was the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier with uh, with Carter. I think it's all about the weapons that, you know, the people in this universe there produce in the U.S. and now those weapons getting into the wrong hands. I really don't think this is going to be about you know, Mjolnir showing up or the Ten Rings. So, I mean, you might be right, but I, I, I don't, I don't expect we're going to see the Ten Rings pop up in Armor Wars. All right, next up, Milo writes, Hey, John, you theorize that Doctor Strange 2 could be when the multiverse problems get resolved. I hope so. Maybe. I mean, I hope so. We'll see. However, Thor comes out after Doctor Strange and will have Jane as Thor and Russell Crowe as Zeus. That sounds multiverse to me. Uh, no, it doesn't sound multiverse at all. Rob, when we heard about those things particularly Jane. Jane's already in the universe. We know the comic book story of how Jane comes about that. None of us thought, when we when we heard the story outline for Thor 4, none of us thought multiverse. It just, it actually just all sounds like it fits within the world of Thor that is already existing. I don't know. What did you think about that? Yeah, I don't, I, 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 I don't think that 
it's multiverse. I don't think that, uh, I mean, I, I think it's definitely what I found. I can't talk. I don't want to say what I, I don't want to spoil it, but let's just say there's a reason. I think that the 10 rings are nothing to do with the multiverse. Can I say that? Yes, but we, he's not talking about 10 rings. He's talking about Thor 4. Like, do we think that they like Jane and things like oh, that? You mean if, if if we're seeing a multiversal Yeah, Jane... so is Thor no, 4? No, no, like, no. He's saying that he thinks because Jane is going to be a Thor version now that that means this is multiverse. And I think it oh, actually no, makes no, sense. Oh, no, 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 no. Jane Foster was Thor in the, in the continuity saying, of the yeah. comics. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, I thought I misunderstood you. No, I thought absolutely. I mean, that's that that happened. I mean. Thor turned into a frog once in uh, the comics. And in Loki. Just so you know, they're, they're, during, the, during the Simonson run. Yeah, then we saw that in Loki too. All right, uh, next up. Uh, let's see, Casey McNatt writes, one of two. Uh, by the way, Josh... Uh, uh, Quevedo sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate that, man. Uh, Casey writes, hey, John, hope your weekend went well. Uh, I just saw the next trailer for The Guilty. And to be honest, uh, all you need to tell me was that Jake Gyllenhaal starred in this film and I would have watched it in a heartbeat. I know it's a Netflix film. And let's face it, the quality of Netflix films are extremely low. But this one actually interests me. Have you seen the trailer to The Guilty? And what are your thoughts? My thoughts, Casey, are exactly the same as yours. It's a decent trailer. I didn't think the trailer was great. It's got Jake Gyllenhaal. You got my attention. It's a Netflix original. Yeah, it's probably going to be shit. I mean, it it is what it is. I mean, Netflix, look, if, if you were to say with any Netflix movie coming out, I think that movie is going to be shit. You have a 98% chance of being right, even if you don't know anything about the movie. 2% chance you'll be wrong, but a 98% chance you'll be right. So I don't have I don't have a lot of hope in this. I've seen too many Netflix movies now, Rob. Rob, we both. I've seen too many Netflix movies now that have big stars that I really like, and it's just trash. Sweet Girl, the one that just dealt like with Jason Momoa, or, you know, SAS, the one with uh, Andy Serkis or whatever. They just put out these movies. It's like, oh, it's got an actor that I'm really intrigued with. And I really like seeing them on the screen. And, blah, and then I watch it's like, oh, God, that was awful. It's so bad. But uh, I don't know, Rob, have you seen this trailer for Guilty with Jake Gyllenhaal? What did you think? Oh, yeah, dude. First of all, it's Anton Fuqua directing, the man who directed Training Day. And I love Anton Fuqua. And this debuted in Toronto, and it's getting all kinds of great notices. And uh, I, I, you know, did you see the movie with, um, now I'm drawing a complete blank on everybody, Tom Hardy, where he's in a car? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the whole movie is him in that car. And so this is kind of like that. That movie with Tom, why am I drawing a blank on the name of that movie? I own that movie. On yeah, Blu-ray. I can't remember the name. I'm I can't sure, think of the name of the. I'm movie. sure guys I, in the live chat are going to remember it. The guys in the yeah, live chat well, send in the name of that, that movie. He he was spectacular. Lock, lock, right, right. Lock. And by the way, Diamond he, Rattler, uh, Black Fester fan, Nino, a bunch of guys put in Lock there. So thank he you was for that, guys. spectacular in that film, so and this good. looks to be something like that. And with Anton, I don't think Anton Fuqua. You know, talk about a movie. And by the way, it was it was scripted by Nick Pelozzo, who who scripted. Uh, uh, True Detective season one. So I think that there's a pedigree here. I think this movie can be great. And I think it was obviously it's a pandemic movie. They figured out how a way to make like in one set, but I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to this, man. I think it could be good. Movies like this, like Locke, <laughs> like uh, Ryan. I'm always Excuse talking me. about that Ryan Reynolds film Buried. 
these these types of movies can have a lot of upside. I, but again, because it's Netflix thing, I don't know. We'll see. But I do like Antoine Fuqua a lot. Uh, by the way, our friend Synced Up sends in a number one fan super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Synced Up. Appreciate that, man. All right. Next up, we go to nothing but the Batman who writes. John, one of the things I look forward to the most in the Batman is Michael Giacchino's score. So far from the first so far from the first look to the little mix in the DC fandom teaser trailer, it sounds very dark and mysterious. Did you hear any new bits in the footage at CinemaCon? Yeah, they played a bunch of the music that went along with it, and yeah, it fit very well. For me, Michael Giacchino is I mean, look, he's actually been around for a while, but when you're talking in terms of guys like John Williams or Hans Zimmer or, or things like that, or Shore, he's a rel- Giacchino's a re- relatively new name. And for me, the jury is still out a little bit. The jury's still out a little bit. Um, now, Rob, correct me if I'm wrong. You'll know the answer to this, and I'm not trying oh. to open a debate here, but it, it was Giacchino who did, was it not Giacchino who did the score for the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies? Oh, yeah, it was. And yeah. I have to tell you, that was one of the best things about that movie. I really like the new, because, like, considering how, you know what it's like to me? It's like how iconic John Williams' Superman score is, yet Zimmer was able to come along with a new Superman score that, Mm-hmm. Maybe doesn't exceed the original, but like is a truly inspiring, beautiful score for Man of Steel, right? For me, I mean, that iconic original Star Trek mu- music, right? Bah, 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 like that, you can never replace that. But, you know, the score Giacchino gave the new Star Trek, I thought was really good. Like, I, I thought it was really good. I did too. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought he did a good job. So it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how his career evolves moving forward. All right. Uh, by the way, our friend Donald Thomas sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Donald. Appreciate that, dude. All right. Next up, nothing but the Batman also writes, the Dark Knight is one of the greatest films ever made, nearly perfect across the board. Well, that is your opinion. Uh, from score to acting to story, the one thing I nitpick is the hand-to-hand combat sometimes felt underwhelming. Uh, did the footage of CinemaCon show a new take on it? I, I agree with you that one of the one of the small detractions of the Batman films, the Christopher Nolan Batman films, was the hand-to-hand combat was at times underwhelming, and quite often Nolan fell prey to the uh, unfortunate habit of some filmmakers of over-editing and over-shaking the camera and moving the camera too much, where like there's action happening, but you can't really see the action. Not, not always. Sometimes it was quite good. The sense that I would get both from the DC fandom trailer and from the footage they showed us at Comic-Con, Rob, is that the action in this new Batman is going to be, it seems like Matt Reeves likes to hold the camera still more. And you can see that even when you go to his like Planet of the Apes film, right? He seems to like to just set the camera on sticks and just point it like in shang chi they don't have shaky camera but the director moves the camera right and there's a difference between camera movement and camera shaking i really like the way he did in shang chi but for batman it seems like matt reeves is going for a more static shot and just showing more visceral brutality that's what it kind of feels like to me how it plays out in the actual movie i don't know rob what are you expecting from the style of action from what you've seen so far and what you anticipate in the upcoming batman film I think it's going to be brutal. I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see a dark night, darker than we've ever seen him before. Uh, You know, some people have said it it had a seven esque vibe to it. Now, I don't know. I mean, we're going to have to wait and see, but I I'm all for that. I mean, who wants to see the same take on Batman? 
that's one of the things I think I really loved about Batman Begins was it was it was both mythic and yet it was also grounded and down to earth. And I really like that. I think that I think that Matt Reeves is going to make it even more grounded and down to earth. Like if there's Batman out there and he's going after these guys, it ain't pretty, man. It, it's 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 not as mirth filled like your jokers. Like, well, Batman, <laughs> it's not going to be like that. It's going to be brutal, hardcore, and uh, I think it's going to hurt. It's going to be bone crunching, John. I agree. I agree. Uh, by the way, our friend, our friend, the Batman sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, the Batman. Appreciate that, man. All right. Nothing but the Batman also writes, John, the Batman trailer. We see a moment where the bat suit deflects a bullet straight uh, to the chest, giving a nice shot of the suit's strength. I feel like Nolan never really showed the suit in action. Uh, like that. Did you see any more at CinemaCon? Well, on that, I have to completely disagree with you. I thought in the Nolan films, we saw a lot of different things that the Batsuit could do. A hell of a lot. Uh, sometimes I actually felt too much. So I'll disagree with you on that. Um, not real. As far as the CinemaCon footage goes, not really. They focused more on the narrative of what was going on and giving us our first look at certain characters. Like we got a terrific look at Catwoman. And I love the look of Catwoman in it. And they gave us a really good, solid, uh, like, uh, bits of her and things like that. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where that was limited to. All right. Next up, The Batman Rides. John, I'm sure you know this, but the three Batman comics that were used as inspiration for my film were Batman Year One, The Long Halloween, and Ego. Have you had a chance to read them? If not, uh, I'll have Alfred send them to you. Well, I've obviously, I've read Year One and The Long Halloween. We've talked about those before. I don't remember the Ego one. Which one is that, Rob? Do you know off the top of your head? I, I don't know off the top of my head. I don't either. I, I don't know that one off the top of my head, to be honest with you. But yes, Long Halloween in year one, I absolutely have. And there's, Nick, he's also, Matt Reeves has talked about there's like a dozen different influences that he's drawing from. He said like there's over a dozen of them, but those are probably going to be a couple of the key ones for sure. All right, next up. Uh, the Batman also writes, John, obviously the main competition for my film is not any MCU film, but Nolan's The Dark Knight. Do you see my film having the potential to dethrone it uh, so mine becomes the greatest Batman film of all time? Well, I mean, look, I'll say when I'll say the same thing I say every time when somebody asks a similar question. Every film that comes out has the potential to be the greatest film of all time. Is that realistic? No. But is the potential there. <clears throat> yes. The potential is there. Does this, the Batman film, have the potential to be better than The Dark Knight? Sure. Of course it does. Any Batman film that comes out has the potential. Is it realistic? Should you put money on that? I mean, I don't know. I mean, some people believe that The Dark Knight is the single greatest comic book film of all time. I don't, but I have it in my top three. It's it's just a complete work of art as far as the comic book genre goes. So I don't expect it to be as good as The Dark Knight, but here's the thing. Rob, you and I have talked about this a number of times, is that I feel like whenever we see, whenever you see a crime movie, the people first, there are people who ask, is it better than The Godfather? <laughs> what? Why does it have to be better than The Godfather? You know, or whenever a comic book movie comes out, is it better than Endgame? Is it better than The Dark Knight? What? Why is that the first question? What? Like, it's this movie could be this movie could be nominated for Best Picture of the Year and not be as good as The Dark Knight, and that's okay. 
and that's okay. So, I mean, I don't know what the, re, the what the real legitimate chances are of the Batman being as good as the Dark Knight. All I know is that it doesn't need to be. It could be 95% as good as the Dark Knight and be an absolute instant comic book movie masterpiece. I mean, as far as I'm concerned. But, but if I had, if you're going to put the $100 in my hand and say, answer the question, will it be as good as the Dark Knight? My guess is no, but it doesn't need to be. I don't know, Rob, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I mean... It, it, comparing and contrasting movies like that is is sort of I've always thought it was kind of odd because, OK, I understand it's the character of, of Batman. But I mean, I, I look at the James Bond franchise. We've had many different Bonds, many different kinds of movies. And there are movies that are a Bond films that are really good. Bond films that are good. Some Bond films, as much as I love Bond, aren't so good. And so I can compare and contrast a Bond film. But when it comes to like Batman movies, there are different kinds of films. Like I wouldn't even compare and contrast Batman and Robin with The Dark Knight. Even though Batman's in both of them, those movies are in entirely different universes to me. So to compare and contrast, obviously the answer is yes, The Dark Knight is better than Batman and Robin. But they're not even trying to do the same things. And I would say that you know, the same could be true. Maybe I think Matt Reeves upcoming Batman is going to be closer in tone to the Dark Knight than, say, Batman and Robin. Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin is. So maybe you could compare and contrast them. But I, they might be very different approaches to the character, in which case I would say both could be enjoyed uh, on different levels. Uh, but I never like to compare like is Goodfellas better than The Godfather. Uh, I think both are outstanding movies, and I think to compare and contrast them does both a disservice. All right. Next up, uh, let's see. James Gunn fan writes, John, in my opinion, Wonder Woman 84 was terrible and also did terrible at the box office, worse than the Suicide Squad. Well, okay, yes, yeah, Suicide Squad is 10 times better than Wonder Woman 84, but let's not pretend like they were released under the exact same circumstances. Wonder Woman 84 came out in the middle of the pandemic when nothing was coming out in theaters, it was a very like it, suicide squad is a 10 times better movie for sure. But let's not pretend like you can just compare the box office results of one over the other. They were released under completely different circumstances. Anyway, um, it also did terrible at the box office, worse than the Suicide Squad, but yet still manages to get a third greenlit. Shouldn't the Suicide Squad get a sequel in your opinion? No. No. But John, you just said it's amazing. Yeah, the Suicide Squad's amazing. I love this movie. I love it. Starro, that's all I need to know. Starro, that's all you need to know. But Rob, here's the bottom line. Shouldn't it get just... No movie deserves a sequel unless you financially make a case that you're going to make money for the people making it. Suicide Squad, as great as it is, and it's awesome. I love this movie. I've, I've, I've droned on and on about it for over a month now. I love this yep. freaking movie. But here's the reality. People didn't want to see it. It didn't help that it was rated R. We've talked about all the things working against it. It was rated R. You know, nobody knows these guys. All the baggage of the original film. The fact that Warner Brothers stabbed it in the back by putting it on HBO Max. It had all these things working against it. But the bottom line, even when you take all those things into consideration... The movie's going to end up losing the studio maybe $100 million. <clears throat> you would not make another Suicide Squad movie. 
You wouldn't. I don't care how much you like it. You wouldn't do it unless you're a moron of a business person. You just, you don't go, you don't make product that you know you're going to lose money on. Now, I still believe there is a chance that another Suicide Squad movie gets made if the chairman of Discovery, and they are taking over Warner Brothers, says, look, we know this can be a winner. We think that the previous management of Warner Brothers botched this. We believe there's a way to make this a winner. We believe that the, the, the word of mouth will carry over. And if that happens, that gives it hope. But the other difference between Suicide Squad Rob and Wonder Woman 84 was that Wonder Woman already had a previous film that was beloved by audience and critics and made huge bank at the box office. So yeah, they stumbled with Wonder Woman 84. There's no denying that. But they've already got a, you know, a precedent that says this Wonder Woman property can be a huge success if done right. So whereas this Suicide Squad didn't have that, this was essentially a new thing. I don't know, Rob, when somebody asked the question, if Wonder Woman is getting a third movie, doesn't Suicide Squad deserve a second? How do you address that? Well, again, like you said, it's academic. I mean, it really it comes down to performance. I'm Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad, seriously underperformed. And while I loved it, too, I had a blast with that movie. Um I, I think it was just a little too niche for people. And it's it simply doesn't justify another film. The only way, John, I could see it happening is if the Peacemaker series turns out to be some kind of a breakout hit. And maybe they could either spin that off into, an, into a movie of some kind and bring back members of the Suicide Squad that are still with us and do something that way. So maybe we'll get a de facto sequel if Peacemaker becomes a huge, huge hit for HBO Max. Uh, fingers can be crossed. I hope it's good. I really do. I really, really hope it's good. All right. Uh, next up, we just got time for a couple more here, guys. Uh, badass Brad Allen fan writes, I saw Shang-Chi twice this weekend to support movies and raise a glass to Brad Allen. I've been a fan of Brad's stunt choreography, but when my uh, friend Micah got to learn from him on the set of Kingsman, uh, the love went deeper. Now everyone is cheering him. Well, look, listen, I'm not familiar with Brad, just to be clear, but if he was involved with the action choreography in Shang-Chi, uh, what, go ahead, Rob. Well, he, he was one of the first white men that was part of Jackie Chan's stunt team. Oh, that, that's right. We've talked about him once before. That's yeah. right. You're, you're absolutely right about that. Yep. Uh, but anyway, uh, whatever degree he was involved in this movie, kudos to him. And that's really good of you to call him out. Badass Brad Allen fan. Well done, sir. All right. Next up an anonymous viewer writes one of two. I wouldn't get the Russo brothers today for the next Avengers. Yeah, they did fantastic MCU movies, but after that they did extraction. They did cherry. Don't forget they did 21 Bridges. Well, I mean, there were the producers and the production company for that. Bad movies, in my opinion. I think that now they are very expensive risk because their price 100% has exploded. I would get recent consistent directors like Taika Waititi. He would make that epic story really emotional. Having Guardians of the Galaxy in mind, James Gunn would do an amazing Avengers 5. Also, Dustin Daniel, the guy who just directed Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi director, it would be amazing. I would say this, Anonymous. He, he, Rob, tell me what you think of this. Look, I have a deep, deep love of the Russo brothers. You know, the I have on three occasions had a chance 
uh, to get together with them. They made a personalized shout out video for me that they put out. I always, I'll always appreciate that. I've had them in my studio on a couple of occasions. They've always been generous and great and fantastic. And they made the winter soldier. They made civil war. They made infinity war. They made Endgame. Uh, my love for them is deep and everlasting. That being said, as much as I love and adore them, I have been critical of the work they have done, both as a production company, as producers, and as directors and writers of the films they have done since. I thought 21 Bridges was a bad film with the, with the late, great Chadwick Boseman. I thought, I know there are people who like it, and that's great, but for me, even though I'm a huge Chris Hemsworth fan, I thought Extraction was a poor movie, a poor movie with some terrific action scenes. Cherry was a big disappointment. But remember, the Russo brothers also did You, Me, and Dupree prior to that, which I did, which I don't like very much at all. But in the MCU, they found a fit. Kevin Feige found a fit. It's like whatever it is that Joe and Anthony bring to the table, it just works in the MCU world. It just works because Rob, every single one of the MCU movies these guys have done have certain pockets of people who believe each one might be the greatest comic book movie of all time. If you get into a big group of geeks, there are going to be some of them that think Winter Soldier is absolutely the best comic book movie of all time. In that same group, you'll find other people who think uh, 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 Civil War is the greatest comic book movie of all time. In that same group, you'll find other people who think Infinity War is the greatest comic book movie of all time. And then some people who think Endgame is great. I mean, there's just no denying when the Russo brothers are working in the MCU with Kevin Feige, magic happens. Is it a little concerning that outside of the MCU, they haven't been able to replicate that success? Sure. But that doesn't change the fact that when the Russos are in the MCU, absolute magic happens. And more importantly... Money happens. Big money happens. So, yeah, I agree with you, Anonymous. I, I do. But I think if you are Disney, within the realms of reasonability, you move heaven and earth to try to get them back on board for another project because magic happens when you do. I don't know, Rob. How important do you? I mean, look, he's right. There are other directors who will do and have done magnificent jobs. But I feel like if you can get the Russos back in the family at the same time, you do it. I don't know, Rob, how do you feel about that? Well, you know, I, I, I mean, I agree that, look, the Russo brothers have made four films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, two of which, I, I mean, it, dude, Infinity War and Endgame are, are to me, this comic book kid who grew up reading comic books are two of the most wildly entertaining movies I've ever seen because I, they're the, <laughs> they're the culmination of what I loved about reading big brawling superhero comics growing up and still to this day. And I, I still, I look at that, like I talked about how I uh, earlier on in the stream, how I would watch like 10 or 15 minutes of infinity war. Same is true of, of Endgame. I mean, those guys nailed it, nailed it. And Proof in the pudding, uh, they made a lot of money at the box office. Yeah. So uh, have, like you pointed out, their success. It, Cherry, I thought, was over-directed. You know, I watch it. I'm like, guys, chill out, bruh. You know, does this, does this style really suit the material? 
And I think, you know, there's probably a great deal of pressure on them to break free of the Marvel Universe to show that they can do a lot of stuff, which they are trying to do to their credit. But I think they're going to go back to them. I think. Why wouldn't you? After that much money. But then again, Joss Whedon never did. So. Yeah. No, no, he. No, you're right. He never did. But I mean, I think. Look, when you look at Joe and Anthony, I think. They loved. Look, I I understood why once Endgame was done, it was time to branch out and build their own empire. I and I told and I agree with that move. I think that was the right time. Their names were never going to be bigger. Their names were never going to be hotter. If they wanted to then branch out and establish their own banner like they did, uh, uh, what's what's a Ab Abco Abco? I can't remember the name of their production company. It's something like that. Abco yeah. Abco. Guys in the live chat, if you remember it, please throw it in there. It's something along those lines. Like that, the time was never more right. You just made what was at the time the all time biggest box office film in history. Now that title belongs to Avatar again. Um, But you just done that. You were on uh, Abgo. Monkey Jeebus says, uh, Agbo. No, it's Agbo. Bobby Jackson got it right. It's Agbo. So Agbo in the uh, Bobby Jackson got that run right. Anyway. That's the name of their production company. And they and they went out and they made a couple of films. And you know what? Like most new film companies, it didn't work. They haven't worked so far. So I think it was great for them to try it. But I also think the time is right for them to come back and get their name back to the top of the discussion panel again and make an MCU movie. But again, Rob, like you and I talked about the other day, they're hesitating coming back now because of the way Disney has treated Scarlett Johansson. So can they get past that? Can that get rectified? Can that get smoothed over? If it was Bob Iger, he could fix this. Bob Chapek, not so much. Uh, But I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you so much, guys, for being here and a part of our show today on this glorious Friday. Listen, there are still more questions to come. We are going to get all of them. As a matter of fact, I got a treat for you, everybody. Robert Meyer Burnett is going to be doing a big companion video. He's going to get everything all caught up. So if you had sent in a question and it had not been answered yet, uh, check back in for the companion video. That'll go up a little bit. Either tonight or tomorrow morning is when it'll go up. But come back and check on that because he's going to get you guys all caught up on that. But in the meantime, guys... Thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Special thank you to all you guys who did send in those live questions because, number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about. And number two, including you guys who sent in the Super Chat badges, you supported the channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so much for your support. In the meantime, Rob, God, the resume is growing. Producer of the Agent Cody Banks films director of William Shatner and Free Enterprise. He got to do work on Lord of the Rings, and now you've got a new, uh, a record-breaking, by the way, little indie (laughs) film, Tango Shalom, that is being featured in the major trades. It's now opening internationally. People go and check out Tango Shalom. Rob, where can people check out your new film, Tango Shalom? And then where can people follow you online? Well, it's expanded. If you're in the L.A., uh, if you're in the Southern California area or in the greater New York City area and uh, the top of New Jersey, Tango Shalom is now playing at a theater near you. Take everybody you know. It would help us. I mean, we are the we are the ind- most independent of all independent movies. Also, the great country above us of Canada. The film is open in four cities. It's opened in Toronto, Montreal, uh, in Winnipeg and in Vancouver, 
great Canadian kids all. Please go see Tango Shalom. We just got a great review in uh, a Canadian uh, paper. Also, Toronto. Is it not also opening in Toronto? Oh, Toronto, Montreal, Winnipeg, and, and Vancouver. Okay. Yes. So everyone's talking about the Toronto International Film Festival. Hey, make a little detour. Go see Tango Shalom. And um, yeah, so thank you very much for that. And you can follow me on Instagram, although I warn you, there's lots about Tango Shalom. It's going to be a little boring for the next week. But <laughs> if you ever want to know anything about Tango Shalom, tune in. And then, of course, find me on my own YouTube channel, uh, Rob Observations. Or my channel's The Burnett Work. My show is Rob Observations. And find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. All right. Unless, of course, you're a Star Trek Twitter, in which case you've already blocked Rob. Right, so, right. Yes. That's right. <laughs> so, so don't bother. <laughs> hey, uh, by the way, a last shout out to Cosmic Bay, who sends in a super chat badge as we're going out. Thank you, Cosmic Bay. Guys, you can follow me on all the social media, simply at John Campia. You can see that there. Guys, thanks again for being here. Remember, everybody, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for us, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>